Let's open our Bibles to Isaiah chapter 40. The goal today is to get through 40, 41, and 42. We're entering um, the last division of the book of Isaiah. Last Sunday and last Wednesday, we got 36 through 39. Chapters that deal with King Hezekiah, uh, his sickness, his recovery, his prayer for 15 more years that the Lord gave him. And the first division up to then is primarily dealing with the judgment of the nations, judgment of uh, Jerusalem, and that was the first division of the book. Now, as we get to chapter 40, we've entered into now the third division of the book, and it is such a contrast from the first half of uh, Isaiah to the second half How many people here have heard of uh, the duo Isaiah hypothesis? In other words, there were two Isaiahs. Um, It's it's out there because it's so radically different from the first part that speaks a lot about judgment, and the second part deals a lot about grace. Of course, Isaiah 53 is here, which is the most graphic chapter about the Messiah, probably in the Old Testament. The argument is it's such a radical change, there had to be two Isaiahs in order for this to happen. Well, if you're going to use that argument, Psalm 2 was written by David, and it's all about the Battle of Armageddon, all about judgment. But um, you read Psalm 22, my God, my God, why has thou forsaken me? It's radically different. But they were both written by David, the same author. So the argument really doesn't hold up. These 66 books in Isaiah were all penned by Isaiah. It's just completely different declaration that he's bringing forth. So picking it up in chapter 40, verse 1, let's dive right in. We'll read the first nine verses. Comfort, yes, comfort my people, says your God. Speak comfort to Jerusalem and, and cry out to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned. For she has received from the Lord's hand double for all of her sins. And the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God, for every valley shall be exalted, every mountain and hill shall be made low. The crooked places shall be made straight and the rough places smooth. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh will see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken, and the voice said, cry out. And he said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its loveliness is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, because the breath of the Lord blows upon it. Surely the people are grass, and the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. O Zion, you who bring good tidings, get up into the high mountains, O Jerusalem. You who bring good tidings, lift up your voice with strength. Lift it up, be not afraid, and say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. These first 12 verses, especially going back to verse 3, are prophetic. Um, They are repeated, and we'll go there in just a second, where it says, The voice of one crying in the wilderness Prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 3 as we dive in tonight. And we'll see the fulfillment of this in the person of John the Baptist, who we will focus on on Sunday. Give you a little taste of it tonight. Again, as we go through the Bible we want to see just how the old and the new are just dovetailed together. And uh, to, uh, to say that you shouldn't deal with prophecy, you can't avoid dealing with prophecy if you teach chapter by chapter and verse by verse. Every time we have a study in Isaiah, you're reading about fulfilled prophecy. And tonight's no different. So Isaiah 40 verse 3 is fulfilled of course, I named um, Sunday's message the greatest man who ever lived. And so I say that on the authority of the Lord himself, he called John the Baptist the greatest man who ever walked this planet. 
And we'll take that up on Sunday. But chapter 3, verse 1, In those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, and he said, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. And this is now being literally fulfilled in the, in the person of John, a cousin to Jesus. He was six months older than the Lord. And uh, John himself was, was clothed in camel hair, and he wore a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locust and wild honey. And um, then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the regions around the Jordan went out to him and were baptized by him in the Jordan concerning confessing their sins. Now, people were really confused when it came to um, John the Baptist. When the Old Testament ended, the book of Malachi, the very last couple of verses, it says, the day of the Lord is not going to come until I send you Elijah the prophet. He'll turn the hearts of the Father towards the children and the hearts of the children back towards the Father before that grateful and terrible day of the Lord. Then for the next 400 years, there's a space of 400 years between the book of Malachi and the book of Matthew, and God hasn't, hasn't spoken through the prophets. John, here, is the last of the Old Testament prophets. And so as we read this chapter here, it's the first time in 400 years that God is speaking through a prophet. And it's been 400 years since then. And so when he shows up on the scene, people are amazed with his authority. They said, who is this? Delegations came out, we read here in verse 7, from Jerusalem, uh, the scribes and the Pharisees. And uh, John just goes toe-to-toe with these guys. He said, who has warned you, brood of vipers, to flee from the wrath which is to come? Uh, Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance. And uh, he talks about one who is going to come after him. He says, I baptize you guys with with water unto repentance, but there's one coming after me who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And of course, he's referring to the Lord Jesus Christ. But it's bothered him so much, they said, who are you anyway? Are you Elijah? Because that's who they're, the, that's the last thing they'd heard from the, the book of Malachi, that he was coming. He says, no, I'm not, not, not Elijah. Are you, uh, and they went through the prophets, and, and he says, no, I'm none of them. He just said, I'm a voice calling in, in the wilderness. I'm the voice of crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Um, without not getting into it too much, the greatest man who ever lived, unlike Elijah, the prophet, never did one miracle. He had one job and one job only. And the day finally came when he had an opportunity and um, he pointed and he says, there he is. There is a Lamb of God who's going to take away the sins of the world. And that's what John was born for. That one moment, that one time, And he bore witness, verse 17, verse 16, Jesus, when he had been baptized, came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove, alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. God is speaking again for the first time in over 400 years. So let's go back to Isaiah, and as we look where it says, Comfort ye my people, and cry to them, John comes crying. And um, these first nine verses, lift up, and don't be afraid, and say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. And it is a reference that the Lord had come, and his ministry began at the age of 30, and it is foretold here as we begin the third division of the the book of Isaiah. Now, verses 10 and 11 are a change of thought, and they deal with the second coming and the kingdom. Verse 10, 
Behold, the Lord God shall come with a strong hand, and his arm shall rule for him, and behold, his reward is with him, and his work before him. And he will feed the flock like a shepherd, he will gather the lambs with his arm, and gather them in his bosom, and gently lead those who are young. Now, these verses here, um, dealing with when the Lord comes with a reward, he's talking about returning with the saints, he will rule. This is speaking of um, the kingdom that we talked about on Sunday, thy kingdom come. And here, again, as, as we, it's intertwined and interwoven throughout Isaiah here, we see it again, prophecies dealing with the second coming, leading into the kingdom age for the next thousand years. Beginning with verse 12 through 21, uh, these are some of um, the most poetic and beautiful scriptures in the Bible um, concerning the creator. Verse 12. Who has measured the waters in a hollow of his hand? Measured heaven with a span? This one blows my mind. Because we talk about our universe being, and they're always talking, adding another billion light years or so. <clears throat> Somewhere around 17, 18 billion light years across. And every time they figure it, recalculate it, it gets bigger. Well, as far as the Lord's concerned, it's about that big. Measures with spent. How big is the universe? Oh, about that big. <laughs> he calculates the dust of the earth in a measure. He weighs the mountains and scales and the hills in a balance. Who has directed the spirit of the Lord? Or his counselor, who has taught him? With whom did he take counsel and, and who instructed him? And taught him the path of justice and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding. Behold, the nations are a drop in a bucket. And now you know where we get these one-liners. These little one-liners, well, here's one of them right here. We use this one-liner today. It's just a drop in a bucket. Behold, the nations are just a drop in a bucket. And they are counted as small dust on the balance. Look, he lifts up the aisles as a very little thing. And Lebanon is not sufficient to burn, nor is beast sufficient for a burnt offering. All nations before him are nothing, and they are countered by him less than nothing and worthless. To whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness will you compare him? And this is sort of sarcasm, derogatory sarcasm. The workman molds a graven image. The goldsmith overlays it with gold. And then the silversmith casts silver chains, and whoever is too impoverished for such a contribution chooses a tree. That's going to rot. He seeks for himself a skillful workman to pair a carved image that will not totter. And um, we have these uh, comparisons about, you know, who, who instructed God, who taught him. And... Really, Isaiah is just magnifying the greatness of the creator in these verses. And in comparison, he, he shows a, car, a sarcasm here with these uh, graved images that men make and fall down and worship. Now, when we get to uh, 21, here it says, Have you not known and have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? Now, my cross-reference here is um, Romans chapter 1. And I'd like to just stop and dive into these scriptures here. Have you not known, have you not heard? As it deals with the subject of creation, that he measured it out. Um, we're going to be talking about the stars in just a moment numbers them, and even calls them by a name. So we're talking in this part of Isaiah about the greatness of the creator. Now, when you go to Romans chapter 1, here we have this definitive chapter 
on God's greatness of his creation. And simply because of his creation, the next verse that we're going to read is that he sits upon the circle of the earth. Well, that was, you know, for years. Um, Science taught that the earth is flat. (laughs) It was held up by either Atlas or some big turtle or something like that was holding it up. And uh, no science there at all. Looking forward to uh, you guys that are going to get to go with Russ Miller to um, um, the, the Grand Canyon's Grand Staircase. What an incredible trip that is and what a proof of the flood and God's creation. They got a stone at the bottom of the Grand Canyon called the Creation Stone. But picking it up in verse um, 18, which is a cross-reference to Isaiah, we read, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness, all unrighteousness of men. I like this. Who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. There's so much in that verse. It's not that they don't know. Peter tells us that men will willfully forget that once God did judge the world. They will try to explain it away. Ah, millions and billions of years, Colorado River slowly carved its way and made the Grand Canyon. If that argument's true, any river that ever was should be carving canyons all over the planet. And um, it's absurd. So they have to suppress, one of the guys was, uh, which one? Clint Laird from Oshkosh was telling me how the guys were going around and sharing their testimony how they got saved. And this is how his dad, Chuck Laird, got saved. Clint had a high school project on uh, evolution. And so he had to do a debate between (laughs) evolution and creation. And while Chuck was studying, he got saved because the argument in his study for creation was so overwhelming that that's how he got saved. And once dad got saved, then mom got saved, then Clint got saved. <laughs> and now you know, he spent three years in Russia and five down in Honduras, and now they're pioneering Calvary Chapel in Oshkosh. But it was all because of creation. When, when you lay out the evidence, scientifically speaking, to say that the Grand Canyon was formed over millions of years of time The evidence doesn't support it. And so they know the truth, but they suppress it. Verse 19, because what may be known of God is manifested in them, for God has shown it to them. Well, how has God shown that he is? For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, they're clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead so that they are without excuse. I like to I blow people's minds when I say there's no such thing as an atheist. Or you can say you're an atheist. Or you're an agnostic, is which we get the, our Greek word ignoramus from, <laughs> if you want to take that title for yourself. But this, these verses here, let God be true and every man a liar. Somebody want to say Amen. And what this verse says here is that everybody is without excuse because of creation. Go ahead and pretend and try to explain it away. But you know the truth deep down inside. uh, That you can't go outside and watch the sunset and know that that didn't just happen. And um, that there is a creator because creation screams it. It demands a creator. It's just too beautiful and too perfect. And it all points to that. So why don't they acknowledge him? Verse 21, because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were they thankful. They became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish foolish hearts were darkened. Professing themselves to become wise, they became fools, and they changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image like corruptible beasts and birds and four-fetted beasts and creeping things. Go back to Isaiah uh, chapter 40. And that's exactly what is being declared here when instead of worshiping the creator, Isaiah gets sidetracked with these images made out of gold and silver that can't do anything because that's all they are is gold and, and silver. 
Verse 22, it is he who sits on the circle of the earth. The Bible talked about the world being uh, round um, long before science proved it to be so. The Bible had it first. And all of its inhabitants are like grasshoppers who stretches out the heaven like a curtain and spreads them out like a tent to dwell in. And that's what they've discovered with string theory. How many of you have ever heard the term string theory? That the universe is stretched out. And um, here's, that's exactly the terminology that the scripture uses. He brings the princes to nothing. He makes the judges of the earth useless. Scarcely shall they be planted. Scarcely shall they be sown. Scarcely shall their stock take root in the earth. When he will also blow on them, they'll wither. And the whirlwind will take them away like stubble. To whom then will you liken me? Or to whom shall I be equal, says the Holy One? I was talking with somebody who was... um, uh, this week about uh, Krislam. And um, the idea with Krislam is that Allah is the same God as Jehovah. And this is part of uh, Krislam teaching. It's made its rounds. It's even made its rounds in some of uh, the local churches in our own community. Um, the absurdity of that is being challenged right here, saying, who's like me? Um, well, certainly not Allah. Uh, Allah is one of 300 gods, moon god actually. Um, But the challenge is there's nobody that's equal. He says, lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these things. In other words, look up. Just check out the stars. Who brings out their host by number? And then he calls them by name. Now this is simply a mind-boggling statement because we know that there's millions and millions of galaxies that have millions and billions of stars and they're in the galaxies and uh, they're separated by (laughs) billions of years of light years and yet here he says he knows the number of them and then to trump that How's that for political talk on this Wednesday night Bible study? To trump that, <laughs> I thought I'd throw it in with the steak commercial and the, and the, the water and the, the wine. <laughs> no, he calls them all by name. And that simply blows my mind. You know, it, it, um, his ways are past finding out. We're going to read in just a little bit when we get into the New Testament because it's so far beyond us. There's no way we can wrap our head around it. There's no way we can grasp it. And yet, this word has to be fulfilled, and it has been. By the greatness of his might and the strength of his power, not one is missing. In other words, every single planet, every single solar system, every single galaxy, is there's just as many as were intended to be there, and he calls them by name, and there's not one that's missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my just claim is passed over by God? Have you not known, and have you not heard, that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of all the ends of the earth, he doesn't faint, nor does he ever get weary. There is no searching of his understanding. And uh, these verses right, right here, verses will go up to um, this one in 28, are past finding out. Now I have a cross-reference here to the book of Romans, and maybe you do too, and I'd like to turn there to Romans 11, uh, verse 33, but I'm going to pick it up in verse 25. Because we're dealing with Israel, Romans chapter 11, Dealing here, as he talks about Israel in particular in the book of Isaiah and his people, 
there's a doctrine out being held in both um, mainline Roman Catholicism and mainline Protestantism that we call replacement theology. It's a word that you guys are familiar with here. And it's simply stated it's because Israel rejected their Messiah. God has rejected Israel, and he's through with them. And all the promises that he made in the Old Testament to Israel, they're null and void, and we inherit them. And Israel's out of the picture. Well, that's why we have Romans chapter 11. Uh, Because Paul begins it, it says Israel's rejection is not total. They've been put on hold. I say then, verse 1, has God cast away his people? Certainly not. For I am also an Israelite of the seed of Abraham of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not cast away his people whom he foreknew. Or do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah, how he pleads with God against Israel? And so this all leads up to the purpose of the rejection of Israel and how God worked it out. We're going to read about the Gentiles tonight from the Old Testament, speaking about you and I. In our chapters this evening, we're talked about. But now beginning with verse 25, he talks about when he's going to start working again with Israel. And of course, in order for this to make any sense at all, there has to be an Israel. Um, It had to be tough for Bible-believing Christians before May 14th, 1948, when there was no Israel. Because when you read... Um, the book of Revelation is all about Israel. Well, if there is no Israel, imagine being a, a Bible teacher in the 1700s and uh, dealing with, with uh, the book of Revelation. Well, there is no Israel, so it makes sense. It must be, you know, symbolic battle between good guys, bad guys. We don't know. And the reason they don't know is because we remember what we read last week in the book of Daniel. These things Daniel wanted to know. What's up with this? What, what is this abomination of desolation stuff and all that? What, do you, what does that mean? It's not for you to know, Daniel, but I want to know. No, nope. it's shut up and sealed, remember? And then what, what's the next word? Until. It's shut up and sealed until the time of the end. Then knowledge is going to increase. I can pull out my little phone right now and talk to Siri, ask her a question about NFL highlights or whatever, and she'll tell me right what it is or what March Madness, who's playing where and what, just by talking into a, a machine. And she don't talk back to me. Uh, that, that, who would, would you have believed that growing up in the 60s? You know, that's, that's Jetsons. Did you understand what I just said? Only a certain group of people understood the Jetsons, right? Yeah, Fred, you're old, that's why. <laughs> All right, well, now as we look at verse 25, he says, Brethren, I don't want you to be ignorant about this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinions that this hardening in part has happened to Israel. God allowed it to happen. He allowed the clock to stop when Jesus was here. Until, and there's that word again, until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. God has a plan for Israel. He allowed them to be blinded for a season, until the Gentiles, that's you and I, uh, there's a number that's set just as he knows the number of the stars and counts them and calls them by name. Don't you think he knows when that person, that last person is going to get saved? And when that last person is saved, then he's going to, verse 26, and so Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come out of Zion. He will turn away ungodliness from Jacob, For this is my covenant with them when I will take away their sins. That's quoting Isaiah 59 and Isaiah 27. Then it goes on, now concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sake, but concerning the election, they are beloved for the sake of the fathers, for the gifts and the callings of God are irrevocable. God made Abraham a promise. God made David a promise that he would have an everlasting kingdom. For as you were once disobedient to God, yet you have now obtained mercy through their disobedience, even so these also have been disobedient, that though the mercy shown you might also, they might 
obtain mercy. For God has committed them all to disobedience that he might have mercy on all. Now, verse 33, and this is what Isaiah is um, talking about here. Oh, how great is his wisdom. Oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments. Again, you just can't wrap your head around his wisdom and his ways are past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord? There's our verse, Isaiah chapter 40, verse 13. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has become his counselor? Or who has first given to him, and it shall be repaid to him? And he's, again, there's our chapter back in Isaiah. For of him and through him and to him are all things, to whom be glory forever. Amen. Let's go back to Isaiah. And again, how that dovetails with uh, Romans and God's full plan. We left off with um, verse 28, verse 29. He gives power to the weak, and to those who have no might, he increases strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young man will utterly fall. And here's the song that we love to sing. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They will walk and not faint. And um, the whole idea of when you are having a down day. Everybody has down days. And rainy days and Mondays, as they say. But if you're still and you take the time, Do what you're doing tonight. You give up um, this hour. You drive to the fellowship. We continue our way through God's word. And, um, you know, things come back into focus, don't they? And you say that, understand why we're doing what, what we do. It renews our strength, but you have to wait upon him, listen to him. That's chapter 40. Chapter 41 carries with it the thought, again with the creator, but that he's before all things, that he's the first, and that he is the last, is um, going to be um, the main. Let's look, look at the first four verses here. Keep silent before me, O coastlands, and let the people renew their strength. Let them come near and let them speak. Let us come near together for judgment. Who raises up one from the east? Question. Who is right, Who in righteousness called him to his feet? Who gave the nations before him and made him rule over kings? Who gave them as dust to the sword, as driven stubble to his bow? Uh, who pursued them and passed safely by the way that he had not gone with his own feet. Who has performed and done it? Calling the generation from the beginning, saying, I, the Lord, am the first, and with the last, I am. And the I am there, again, is the same I am that we read about in the Gospel of John. I am that I am. Um, I am he. Um, Let's turn to the book of Revelation, Chapter 1, and also chapter 22. Chapter 1, of course, the year is 96 AD. John is on the island of Patmos, the only disciple still alive. And while on Patmos, beautiful Greek island, but in verse 8, as the Lord appears to John, we read in verse 8, it's the first red letters in uh, these chapters where John is giving an introduction, but then in verse 8, it says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. That would be what we would say in our alphabet, the A and the Z. The beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. If you look at verse 17, John is describing the Lord and 
after seeing him, um, he, he falls to his feet, verse 17, as, as if he were dead. It was just more than he could handle. He was scared to death to the point where he has no strength within him. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet dead, but he laid his right hand on me and he said to me, do not be afraid, I am the first and the last. And we have here exactly what Isaiah is saying. I am that I am, I'm the first and the last, the alpha and the omega. That's how the book of Revelation begins, but it's also how the book of Revelation ends. He's going to say the same thing, but now you've got to go to the very last chapter, which is chapter 22. And in chapter 22, verse, we'll pick it up in verse 12. These are good words to encourage you. It's um, not about now. We're just, we're just passing through. And we're watching things untangle very quickly, on every angle. But we read in, in um, I'll pick it up in verse 12. The Lord says, behold, back to the red letters, I'm coming quickly, and my reward is with me. And that's what we read in Isaiah, to give everyone according to his work. I am Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Let's go back to Isaiah, and again, I want you just to to see as we go through it how it just dovetails together. We're at verse 4. Who has performed and done all this, calling the generations from the beginning? I did. I, the Lord. I'm the first. And with the last, I am he. Then it goes on, the coastland saw it and feared. The ends of the earth were afraid. They drew near and came, and everyone helped his neighbor and said to his brother, Be of good courage. So the craftsman encouraged the goldsmith, and he who smoothed with the hammer inspired him who strikes the anvil, saying, Is it ready for the soldering? Then he fastened it with pegs that it might not totter. But you, Israel, are my servant. Jacob have I chosen, the descendants of Abraham, my friend. And uh, this is where Abraham gets, where he's called the friend of God. To whom I have taken from the ends of the earth and called from the farthest regions and said to you, you are my servant. I have chosen you and have not cast you away. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, and I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Behold, all those who were incensed against you shall be ashamed and disgraced. They shall be as nothing. And those who strive with you shall perish. You shall seek them and not find them. Those who contended with you, those who war against you, shall be as nothing, as a non-existing thing. For I, the Lord your God, will hold your right hand, saying to you, Fear not, I will help you. And so he's speaking to Jacob, his servant, a descendant of Abraham, his, his friend, saying, When it's all said and done, I'm for you, and I'm against your enemies. And I, I think um, all the hard talk coming out of Iran right now, if they had any idea what they're in for, and they're, they're taunting and flaunting and openly calling again for the annihilation of the nation of Israel. And um, they have no idea what they're in for and who they're against. And the Lord basically saying, here, let them bring it on. But it isn't, it isn't going to stand. <clears throat> Verse 14 Fear not, you warm Jacob, you men of Israel. I will help you, says the Lord. And your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. Behold, I make you into a new threshing sledge with sharp teeth. You shall thresh the mountains and beat 
them small and make the hills like chaff. You shall winnow them, and the wind shall carry them away, and the whirlwind shall scatter them. And you shall rejoice in the Lord and glory in the Holy One of Israel. When the poor and needy seek water, and there is none, and their tongues fail for thirst, I, the Lord, will heal them. I, the God of Israel, will not forsake them. And I have a cross-reference there, Romans 11, 2. Has God forsaken his people? Certainly not. And this is what he's saying here, I won't forsake you. And Paul picks up on it and quotes it. And he gets it right from these verses here in Isaiah chapter 41. I will open rivers and desolate heights and fountains in the midst of the valley. I will make the wilderness a pool of water and the dry land springs of water. I will plant in the wilderness the cedar and the acacia tree, the myrtle and the olive tree, and I will set in the desert cypress trees and the pine and the box tree together, that they may see and know and consider and understand together that the hand of the Lord has done this, and the Holy One of Israel has created it. Now this certainly could be reference to the change of the land in Israel since they've been back in, in it. Because um, the cypress and some of these other trees that were planted, the olive, um, olive uh, trees um, in Israel, that's what it's known for. Matter of fact, it was out of news tonight of uh, olive oil going up <laughs> because of the drought in Spain. 40% of, of uh, the world's olive oil comes from, from Spain, evidently. But where it's the best in the world comes out of Israel. And um, they have, we went through a whole factory on one of our trips. The whole thing was just explaining uh, the different qualities of olive oil and why theirs was the best. Um, But this leads us to probably some of my favorite verses in the entire Bible. Because, well, let's just read it and then we'll comment on it. Present your case, says the Lord. Bring forth your strong reason, says the king of Jacob. Let them bring forth and show us what will happen. Let them show the former things what they were, that we may consider them and know the latter end of them, or declare to us things to come. Show the things that are to come hereafter, that we may know that you are God's. Okay, he's challenging every other God out there. And he's saying, you're not God's because I'm the only one that's going to tell you something before it happens, and then it's going to happen. And here, what I like to say is this is where the Lord himself encourages us to use prophecy as one of the strongest tools for the gospel of Jesus Christ being the only way. And um, the Lord says, I don't call you servants, I call you friends. Why? Because I'm going to tell you everything before it happens. So that when it happens, then you'll believe that I am. And only God can do that. Only God, and this book is, again, um, 40% plus prophetic. And All you have to do is make the argument, have one that's wrong, just one. Out of the 300 Old Testament prophecies concerning the coming of the Lord, just pick one that doesn't come to pass, and you can throw it all away. The problem is you can't. And this is what he's bragging on here. He says, if you're a God, then show me what will happen, verse 22. Let them show the former things what they were that we may consider them. And know the latter end of them. These, in the Old Testament, this was so important because there were prophets that went around. And especially when we get into Jeremiah. Jeremiah was saying, get your house in order because you're going to spend the next 70 years in captivity in Babylon. Wasn't a popular message. Nobody wanted to hear it, but it was true. They had false prophets. And they were saying, you don't have to worry about a thing. Everything is going to be just fine. 
you're going to be happy, clappy, and you won't have to, uh, you won't have a care in the entire world. And it was all a lie. And so, as we consider this here, what we have to be honest with is where the world is headed right now. Because in Matthew 24, when it talks about Israel being regathered, starts out with the happy, clappy words like, these are the beginnings of sorrows. Now we're entering perilous times where men's heart will, will literally faint because of the things that they see coming upon this planet. And um, gang, we, just, we have this powerful tool with um, prophecy. Show the things that are to come hereafter that we may know that you are gods. Notice small g. Because only the true and the living God can uh, speak of a matter before it happens and have it be fulfilled. All right, let's continue on. Yes, do good or do evil that we may be dismayed and see it together. Indeed, you are nothing and your work is nothing. He who chooses you is an abomination. I have raised up one from the north, and he shall come. From the rising of the sun, he shall call on my name, and he shall come against princes as though mortar, as the potter treads clay. Who has declared from the beginning that we may know, and former times that we may say he is righteous? Surely there is no one who, who shows, surely there is no one who declares, surely there is no one who hears your words. The first time I said to Zion, look, there they are, and I will give to Jerusalem one who brings good tidings. For I looked and there was no man. I looked among them, but there was no counselor, who when I asked of them could answer not a word, Indeed, they are all worthless, their works are nothing, their molded images are wind and confusion. Chapter 41, contrast between the Lord showing the greatness of his creation, being the first and the last, all things were created by him, we read in John, and they were created for him. Why are you? What's the meaning of your existence? Well, you were created um, for your maker, to serve him. That's why you are. You were created to know him in a, in a personal way and find out what he has laid out for you. And as we think back on Sunday, you know, he has a plan A for you. And if you, if you miss that, well, he'll give you a plan B. And if you need a plan C or D, he'll work with you on that one too. But we really are told to to you know, acknowledge the Lord in all your ways and what will lead to then? Direct your path. So what he does in chapter 41 is contrast his greatness, again ending it up with the idols that can do absolutely nothing. And he challenges any of these other small g gods. Go ahead. If you're mighty then declare something before it's going to happen because only he can do it. All right, leads us to our last chapter tonight, chapter 42. And this, in um, these chapters, they gradually are working up to this condemnation of idolatry. We find in this chapter, the nation of Israel is called the servant of Jehovah. And um, let's pick it up. And read verses 1 through 4. Behold my servant whom I uphold, my elect one in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the Gentiles. He will cry out and raise his voice. He will not cry out nor raise his voice, nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. And I like this, a bruised reed he will not break, a smoking flax he will not quench, and he will bring forth justice for truth. He will not fail nor be discouraged till he has established justice on the earth. 
and all the coastland shall wait for his law. These are, of course, prophecies concerning the Messiah when he comes. And here's a reference that we have here, one of the first ones, we'll see it a couple times in this chapter, about the Gentiles. He will bring forth justice to Gentiles. Now when Cornelius got saved, it was inconceivable. It was blowing their minds. They couldn't believe that a Gentile could get saved. And um, uh, they were baptized in the Holy Spirit. And then the declaration, well, who, who can say they can't be baptized? God's already filled them with his Holy Spirit. Gentiles getting saved, unbelievable. But here it's foretold. But this is also a prophecy. And here I'll have you turn to, let's go to Luke chapter 3 in the New Testament, picking up at verse 21. Again, we're going back to the baptism of Jesus by John, but I'm going to, this time, look at it from Luke's perspective. Now, when all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus was also baptized. And while he prayed, the heavens opened, and the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon him, and a voice came from heaven saying, you are my beloved son, in you I am well pleased. Now here's one of the places for those who are Jesus only, um, those who do not believe or hold in the Trinity, well, this blows it right out of the water. For here you have the Father speaking from heaven, the Holy Spirit descending like a dove, on the Son. You have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in verse 22. And uh, we also see it happening on the Mount of Transfiguration. But here you have all three. And um, this is fulfilling what we just uh, you go back to chapter 42. These first four verses. And we get a little bit about the Spirit coming upon him. and But verse 3, this, this verse here, a bruised reed he will not break, and a smoking flax he will not quench. <clears throat> you ever hear the phrase, you never kick a guy when he's down? Yeah, and well, that's, that was Jesus' nature. And we could use a lot of examples. I, I usually think of um, a woman caught in the act of adultery. Uh, they wanted to, she was already, you know, uh, using her body to make money or whatever. She was an adulteress. And um, she was down. And now they wanted to stone her. Well, the Lord came and pointed out that every one of those guys were just as guilty as she was. And um, he wasn't going to condemn her. He wasn't going to kick her while she was down. A bruised Read, he will not break. And Bruce Carroll's got this great song, Who Will Be Jesus to Them? It talks about a guy going to, the ch- going to church for the first time because his wife took off at him. And um, he's sitting all by himself. He's all alone. And um, Bruce's line is, Who's going to be Jesus to him? He doesn't need a sermon, he needs a friend. And this is where we get into where the rubber meets the road with our walks with the Lord. Being sensitive um, and being used at that time where he doesn't need a a heavy Bible study that's going to condemn him because the Lord won't. A bruised reed, he's not going to break. He's already bruised. He's not going to, he's going to, be that bomb, that healing bomb, and minister grace and hope. And, um, and we see that as part of his nature. He will bring forth justice for truth. So again, here we are in Isaiah 42. Here are more prophecies. He calls him his servant. His spirit will rest upon him. He will bring forth justice to the Gentiles. And so that is a reference to you and I. All right, let's finish up our chapter. Verse five, thus says God the Lord, 
who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread forth the earth and that which comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it, and spirit to those who walk on it. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness and will hold your hand. I will give you as a covenant to the people as a light to the Gentiles. That's Luke 2.32, a light to the Gentiles, to open blind eyes, um, to bring out prisoners from the prison, those who sit in darkness from the prison house. I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory I will not give to another, nor my praise to graven images. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. Now he's repeating, repeating what we just read about the importance of prophecy. I'm going to tell you before it happens. Before they spring forth, I'm going to tell you. And so I believe every born-again Christian should be equipped for, for the, uh, the open doors that we have before us, what we know. Um, is so priceless and so valuable that we're actually the generation that Daniel talked about. The book's open. It's unsealed. Israel's back. The stage is set for all these things now to just begin to happen. And the Lord says when they begin to happen, it's going to be like a, like a woman who's about to have a baby. Their birth pains, and they're just going to get more intense and more intense and more intense, and all of a sudden, wham, it's here. Like a thief in the night, it's going to hit. And um, the Lord's going to take out his church when the fullness of the Gentiles comes in. And then he's going to go right into this terrible seven-year period of time. And uh, he's, he's laid it all out for us. Verse 9, I'll declare it before it comes to pass. And so we, we know what's going to happen. We're just sort of watching the pieces fall together right now. All right, let's finish out our chapter Sing to the Lord a new song and his praises from the ends of the earth. You who go down to the sea and all that is in it, you coastlands and the inhabitants of them, let the wilderness and its cities lift up their voice, the villages that Kedar inhabits, let the inhabitants of Selah sing, let them shout from the tops of the mountains, let them give glory to the Lord, and declare his praise in the coastlands. The Lord shall go forth like a mighty man, and he'll stir up his zeal like a man of war. He will cry out, yes, shout aloud, and he shall prevail against his enemies. I have held my peace a long time. I've been still and restrained myself. He certainly has. Nor I will... Now I will cry like a woman in labor, and I will pant and gasp at once. And I will lay waste the mountains and hills and dry up all the vegetation. I will make the rivers coastlands, and I will dry up the pools. I will bring the blind by a way they did not know. I will lead them in paths they have not known. And I will make darkness light before them, I'll make the crooked place straight. We've read that earlier. And uh, uh, John the Baptist quotes it again in, in the Gospels. These things I will do for them and not forsake them. They shall be turned back. They shall be greatly ashamed who trusted in carved images, who say to their molding images, you are gods. Again, the contrast between the true and the living God and um, the, the works of man's hands. Hear you, death, and look, you blind, that you may see. Who is blind but my servant, or death as my messenger whom I send? And who is blind as he who is perfect and blind as the Lord's servant? That's in the form of a question. Seeing many things, but you do not observe, opening their ears, but it does not hear. The Lord is well pleased for his righteousness' sake. He will magnify the law and make it honorable. 
But this is a people robbed and plundered. All of them are snared in holes and they are hidden in prison houses. They are for prey and no one delivers, for plunder and no one says restore. Who among you will give ear to this? Who will listen? And here, for the time has come. Boy, what a timely phrase. It's all hitting the fan right now. It's all being fulfilled. But who really understands it? A very appropriate verse for our generation. My people perish for lack of knowledge of this book. They're, they're just not getting it, what's happening right now. And it's certainly not <laughs> going to be in, uh, in, in our government or our political season, as much as we've got to watch all this till next November. The fact of the matter is there's going to be no peace until he returns, period. And uh, there, there's nothing that's going to change it because the Lord has spoken. It's downhill from here until the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings comes and sets up his kingdom, and then he'll have things his way. Uh, but who will listen now? Well, you're a minority, and we'll be in a minority. Um, not because I say so. The Lord says, straight is the gate, narrow is the way that leads to life, and how many? Few be that find it. But broad is the gate, and wide is is the the way that leads to destruction, and the majority, or many, will be that find that. And that's what we see today. So um, let's finish it out with the last couple verses. It's being spoken, but who's listening? Um, Verse 25, Therefore he has poured out on him the fury of his anger and the battle of his strength, He has set him on fire all around, yet he did not know. And it burned him, yet he did not take it to heart. I'll just close with a a comment here by McGee in this last verse 25. The chastising of the Lord did not cause the nation to repent and return to him. Did this thwart the purpose of God? The answer, of course, is no, as we'll see in the following chapter. Because beginning with chapter 43, uh, the title of it is Comfort Because of Israel's Restoration. He's in the process of setting the stage as we speak tonight. Uh, Bibi just canceled his appointment with President Obama. Yep, <laughs> amen is right. <laughs> And he, he's, he's figured out, he was supposed to meet with him this month, but he's not going to come. Because, why? Because he's got him figured out, that's why. And he knows that um, Obama is not a friend of Israel, and he just proves it more and more every day. But gang, these are just stepping stones, and we should see them as signposts. Close with First Thessalonians 5, concerning the day of 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 the Lord um, concerning the times and the seasons brethren we are not to be ignorant well how are we not to be ignorant well by knowing the scriptures Daniel knew because he studied Jeremiah that it was time to go back well how did he know well he simply read Jeremiah that's how he knew Daniel chapter 9 verse 1 I Daniel reading Jeremiah the prophet knew that the 70 years was up. And because he was reading his Bible, Daniel knew it was time to go home. And that was, it was only after that, while he's in prayer, that the Lord actually gave him more revelation. I'm past my time by two minutes. What a surprise. Let's stand and we'll pray. Lord, as we make our way through the book of Isaiah and we enter into this final di- division We know there's not two writers of Isaiah, Lord. We just know that he switched gears and began to speak of this future restoration, the time that your son would come and your spirit would rest upon him. And then after 400 years, you're speaking again through the last prophet, John the Baptist, who is prophesied in this chapter 40 of the book of Isaiah tonight, fulfilling it. Truly, Lord God, you're a God of wonders, 
who does reveal things before they happen and, and only you can. And we bow our hearts humbly before you. Lord, we don't want to suppress truth. We want, we want to shout from the, the mountaintops what's going on. So we pray for open doors. Give us boldness, Lord, to be able to speak the truth, but do it the way you did. And being sensitive, Lord, to the hurts and needs of others. As we learned tonight, a bruised reed, you won't break. And so, Lord, help us deal with people with that same heart. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.